0: Welcome, everyone, to episode number 29, Pest Control Millionaire. Today is uh, one of my good friends, Corey Ballard. I think that anyone in the lawn care industry will know this guy. Uh, He's seen all over the internet, all over Instagram. Big influencer in our space, but not only that is he has built uh, several multi-million dollar companies and we get to walk through the process of all that today. So, Corey, appreciate you being here and thanks for dropping some knowledge on us today.
1: Yeah, glad to be here, buddy.
0: Yeah, it's been a few years. I know you and I just did a podcast. I was actually on your podcast, uh, I don't know, like three weeks ago, a month ago, somewhere in there.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know if that one's dropped, but if it, it hasn't, it should be any day here or any week now. We, we drop a new episode every Tuesday. And so uh, we tried to build up a bunch of them because, as you've probably figured out, that the podcast is uh, <laughs> it's a little more than I thought in the beginning. For so, sure. Uh,
0: we're, we're always moving to get to the next person. We try to get like four or five ahead. Then next thing you know, it gets busy. Then we're getting behind again. And we start another one. I'm like, oh, just... Constant battle to keep up.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure.
0: But it's fun. So you got to interview me uh, a few weeks ago, but now it's my turn to interview you. I think we met, man, four or five years ago at this point, maybe longer, somewhere in there.
1: Yeah, it's been a while.
0: Yeah, and you were you were you still owned Perfect Cut at the time? I came down there, got to you took me on a tour through all of Perfect Cut. You took me across the street to your office buildings, and then we went over to your New Ballard Corp, which I think was relatively new at that point i would assume close to it
1: yeah i mean we've we've had the company a long time but we, you know uh, we it was just kind of a hobby business and then we we've you know recently grown it the last five years and i think when you were down um even since then we've added another facility here in des moines we've remodeled everything top to bottom um and then we've also had we also have an office in eastern iowa and in omaha but uh yeah since you were here we've completely uh remodeled all of our f- uh, facilities here and um and, and just completely gutted them and, and really tried to make a nice uh, facility for our team and an office admin and a place that people are proud to to work and show up to. And um it, it costs a lot of money to 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 do that, but boy, it's nice to have a facility that uh that you're proud of and you know, um and that's gonna last.
0: Yeah. How important do you think that is of having a really nice office space, really nice facility? And obviously you can't have that everything when you're first starting out, but as you scale, how important is it do you think for culture?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I still think you got—you know—guys can do. You know, small guys can still still have a quality company and a high-quality company without a fancy office and fancy stuff. But you know, for us, as we grew and we really wanted to create this culture um, and a place that people wanted to not only work but have a long-term career, um, we just really needed a place that uh, that we were, that looked good and felt good and flowed well um, and was secure and safe and uh, and you know so. I mean, I definitely think it's it's a place that um, it's made a difference. I mean, I don't know. Is somebody going to quit or stay because you have nice offices? Probably not. Um, but, you know, when we interview people and we bring in salespeople and um, all kinds of different things, I think it's important for us at our level anyways, to create a culture and create a place that is appealing, aesthetically appe- appealing and, um, you know, that they know that they've got a company that's that's. You know, we always say we sweat the details and then you can't say you sweat the details and then have a facility that's not, you know, clean and organized and professional. And um, so we we have the windows clean. We have a cleaning service and it's um, there's not you know, you don't see clutter on desks and stuff sitting out. You know, it's super important to us to to change. And it took years to change that. You know, Uh, we just had to really continue to say hey guys this is not how we function and we don't leave stuff out and we we don't leave boxes out we empty trashes daily we don't you know we don't make messes in the kitchen areas and our break room areas and and uh you know if if you want to if you want to change the you know the culture you got to change the expectations
0: yeah i love that um so you mentioned there everyone the smaller guys they're not gonna get started that way so let's take you back from day one like who was Corey ballard in high school
1: um, yeah, so kinda of rowdy. Uh you know, I was uh you know, uh the, the long, you know, the short story of, you know, how we got to where we are, you know, it really started simple with me and, and I just wanted to make some extra money. I wanted the fanciest moped and they came out with these new YSRs which were like a little mini crotch rocket and my parents didn't have any money and I, I told my dad I wanted one and they were fourteen hundred dollars at the time. So this is 19, you know, 89. So $1400 is I don't know what that's equivalent to today, 3 4000. And and he said, "Hey man, you better get a job." And and so the only thing I could come up with was uh started knocking on doors and asking people if I could cut their grass and uh um must have been fairly convincing because I picked up, you know, 10 or 12 local uh residences right around me and I, I stole my dad's you know, push mower and and started cutting some grass and um and I quickly realized that I enjoyed uh, working outdoors. I enjoyed having my own money. I enjoyed being able to buy my own stuff and not rely on my parents. And, um, I was able to buy that YSR and quickly pay it off. And, um, you know, and then eventually I bought a 36 inch belt driven junk mower, but man, it was a Cadillac compared to a push mower. And, uh, you know, but I still didn't know for sure what I wanted to do. My mom and my grandma saying, you got to go to college. And, uh, you know, I was the kind of guy that was, uh, I wrestled in high school, but I was, I was trying to have fun, chase girls, um, party and hang out with friends. And, um, I just wasn't great at school. I didn't do, you know, I didn't get bad grades, but I gave just enough effort to get through. And, um, um, and so I knew that I didn't want to work for anybody else, but I didn't think college was a good fit for me. And, um, but I wasn't afraid to work. And I was out hustling and I talked to anybody that would listen and, you know, quickly picked up quite a few accounts, and by the time I was a senior in high school, I had a couple mowing crews, and I'd get the guys going before school. And then I we had a school program that got me out at noon, and I'd go meet the crews and and work with whoever was had the largest route. And um, you know, that's really how it started. And I named it Perfect Cut. And, and I, I had a girlfriend back at the time, her dad painted me a, a board I put on the side of a pickup, and um, you know, we just started cutting grass, and uh, the community was growing, and and uh, we we knew enough people and uh, you know, I had high school friends that to help. So labor wasn't really an issue. People were helping before and after school. And I had a couple guys that had graduated a year ahead. And so I had labor I had I had work and, um, but you know, so that's kind of how it started and it just quickly grew. And uh, before I knew it, I, I was in pretty deep. And I remember at one point my grandma said, "You are you going to go to college? And I'm like, grandma, I think I got like 35 employees now. I think I'm in, in kind of deep now. Um, and uh uh, so that's really what happened. And we just, we just, we were, we just were out there hustling and, and hustling and hustling and knocking on every door and um, asking for opportunities. And we were doing good work and, um, but we were doing all kinds of stuff, you know, as any small company does, we were, you know, doing bi-weekly mows and mowing ditches only. And, you know, we, we took anything that you would, you know, anything that paid a dollar we took on.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. I think that how we all got started knocking on doors and uh, just getting the work get it done <clears throat> when did you start wrestling how old were you start wrestling
1: uh probably six or seven um and i i wrestled all the way into high school and um was pretty good wasn't amazing but i just wasn't focused uh, my parents didn't care if i wrestled or not and i think uh, i just got distracted a little bit my junior year um i got injured and uh you know I, I think i believe you were a wrestler man i was tired of cutting weight my friends were out having fun they were chasing girls and i'm Wearing plastics, trying to make weight and spit in a cup, you know, and, uh, you know, just trying to shave every ounce of, you know, and, and so I I just, I don't know. I I can tell you to this point, Jonas, it's one of the things I regret the most because I'm not a quitter. Um, I don't quit anything. And, uh, but I quit wrestling. I remember my junior year, I called our head coach and I said, Hey, you know, I don't want wrestling. He's like, Corey, you're, you're a starter. You lettered as a sophomore. Like, you're, you're going to make state. And I said, I don't think so. Um, And I just, um, I regret that to this day because I've, uh, I'm a believer in consistency and doing what you say you're going to do. And um, I tell my kids, we start something, we finish it. Yeah. Um, and so I regret that I can tell you. And I don't know how good I would have been, but I wasn't as I knew I wasn't as focused as some of my peers, and they were they were working harder than me. And and um, I don't know for some reason I just, I think I did it so long though that maybe I kind of okay. lost interest and in maybe myself yeah. out a little bit. Happens all the time.
0: Um, I, I still you know, see it. I mean, I think I've been involved re- in wrestling since I was three years old. I've seen everything happen. Like some of the best guys that have ever came out of the state. And also, the next thing you know, they it's their senior year. They're ranked number one in the state and they just bail their senior year because they're just burnt out. Yeah. I, mean, I have a close friend of mine that did the same thing. So I, I get it. Uh, but how much do you attribute you know, like all the things you learned from wrestling throughout your whole life into the business today?
1: Yeah, good question. I mean, I don't know. I think it's just, you know, it's it's up to you. You know, wrestling's a one sport, you know, and, and it, it, of course you have a team. But man, you're the, when you're on the mat, it's just you against another competitor. And um, it's who, you know, who wants to put in the most work. And um, and, and again, who's going to quit? You know, I, I recently talked to a guy and he was asking me kind of about business. And I said, you know, the businesses that are around today, I think it's about who can endure the most pain. Um, when it gets really, really tough, you know, a lot of guys quit. And I think on the wrestling, Matt, um, I can speak from my experience. Um, I lost matches that I was better than the guys that I was beaten or that I lost to. And I, and I beat guys that it were, maybe were better than me. And that, that day I just said, this guy isn't beating me. And, um, and that's kind of how I took into business. I just said, I might not be the smartest guy, but I'm going to outwork with you. And when you're not working on Saturday, I'm going to be in the office. And when you're not working on Sunday, I'm going to be in the office. And you're just not going to be able to outwork me. You might be smarter than me, but I'm just going to t- get a little bit better than you. I'm going to work a little bit harder than you. I'm going to stay a little bit later. I'm going to get there a little bit earlier. And I'm going to make it impossible for you to beat me at business. And so I think that kind of relates back to wrestling, too. And, um, you know, the guys that put in the work get the results.
0: Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And we love hiring wrestlers. Like
1: I'm sure. Any uh, athletes, yeah, I think. Any,
0: any-, any athlete, agreed. But Again, I'm not just picking up wrestling because that's my sport, but we have some wrestlers that work for us that are sales guys. And it, like you said, when things get tough and it gets harder on the doors, like the the ones that, that rise to the top are the ones who overcome those challenges are typically the athletes. They're used Absolutely. to like going through those hard times of, you know, when it, you're down by two points or down by three points in the third period and you gotta come back and win. Like that's what it's all about. It's the same thing in business though. So like things get hard. Like you said, you got overcome those things and just keep working hard, put your head to the ground and keep moving.
1: Yeah, it's just I think it's too easy for people to quit today. I mean, and I believe, you know, I that quit in business, quit in sports, quit on a marriage, you know, it's too easy to just say I'm not doing this anymore and um, you know, you've got to figure out a way to to really grind and figure out on those rough rough days and um, I'd be like what Mike Andy said when he said it at one of the conferences and I think he said it on our podcast but You know, lower highs, higher lows where, you know, when things are great, you just don't get on top of the world and buy a brand new truck. And when things are low, you don't say, oh, shit, I got I'm close. I got to close down. We're out of money. We're screwed. Got to fire everybody. So it's kind of bouncing out those. I think that takes some time and some maturity. And um, and on those rough days, sometimes you just, you know, I'll pick my team up and say, hey, guys, it's okay. We had a shitty day. Uh, Get some rest. Grab a bite to eat let's fight the battle tomorrow, man. We'll come back. We'll, we'll do this again. And um, instead of just saying, Hey, we're screwed, right? Yeah. Oh, that was a terrible day. We're in trouble. Oh, we're out of money, you know, whatever the case may be. And so I do believe that, you know, to your point, athletes, um, I think have worked through adversity numerous, numerous times. And, and uh, you know, I try to teach that those things to my children and, and teach it to our employees. And um, because man, I just think it's, I don't know, we're just kind of in a culture that, I don't know. Everybody just wants to. They want the easy way, right? They yeah. want to quit and they want to shape in a week and they want to get rich in a month. Yeah, you know. I
0: see it all on I, Instagram, Facebook. Overnight success is yeah. no such thing. I don't care what anyone says.
1: I don't know how to do it. If I knew, if I knew all those okay. tricks, you know, I, I'll, I'll 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 let you in on them. Maybe off off air, I'll let you in on the secrets. Yeah, but I don't. You yeah, know, everyone sure. says. I'm like, I don't know. I just go to the gym, you know, six days a week for 25 years. Yep. So hey, absolutely, <laughs> no big deal. It's, it's all you got to do, it's and. It's oh, it's gotta eat right. Yeah, <laughs> not very hard, but it's hard. No, it's just consistency, right? Yeah. You gotta put the work in day in and day out, every single day.
0: Yeah, in anything that you do, and I teach my guys all the time is, yeah, you're gonna have the super high highs, you have the super low lows, but the more even keeled you can stay, the better off you'll be. And my daughter, my daughter is that way. Like I'm super high highs, super low lows, like I always was when I, in my past. And she's not that way. She's super competitive, but she's even key all the way through, whether it's a win or a loss. Like, there's like almost no emotion. I absolutely love it. But I think that she had a really good coach too. Awesome. So when it comes to back to the business side of things, people see like the end result of perfect cut where it was when you left, right? Like monster business. I don't know how many employees did did you end up with when you sold? Where were you at?
1: Um- I think we're, we're at our peak. We're around 200. Um, and then through COVID, we actually just got smarter. We actually didn't downsize the company, but we just got a little mm-hmm. bit smarter and yeah. streamlined. So I think 160, 165, I think, is where we are currently today. Um, we did have just recently an acquisition, but it's through the yeah. parent company that also bought Perfect Cut, which we can get into. And, yeah. and I'm still involved with that. Um, I still go to a weekly meeting. I'm on our strategy team. Um, I have, uh, you know, I have shares in the corporate company as well. So I've got some skin in the game, um, but it's certainly different today. But uh, so, yeah, we built that up to three branches, um, a full service commercial site management company. Um, we don't do we have one little piece of residential that we still do, but mainly commercial. Uh, we focus on uh, corporate style campuses, uh, the large, big stuff that, uh, um, you know, we're not doing gas stations and fast food stores and those types of things. But we focus on the large clients where we can really um, bring value and build long-term partnerships. And, and that's what we want. We want partnerships with our clients. So they value us as much as we value them, um, you know, and, uh, and we can bring in, and again, we're not a low cost provider. So some of those relationships take years and years to build, Um and it's hard to get in, but if you do a great job, it's also hard for somebody else to get in and take uh, your spot. If you do a great job, yeah. So you've been doing this for thirty plus years, right? Yeah, that's ages me some, but yeah, um, I'm forty seven. So I've uh, been, you know, I've been really. I started at fourteen years old, and uh, so I've been doing this a long time, and and uh, learned a lot along the way. And uh, you know, we, we grew really fast in the beginning. You know, we were at ten million dollars in revenue when I was twenty seven years old, and um and learned a lot you know and and we we had areas where we would you know kind of tap the brakes for a couple years and we'd grow and um you know went through the recession where we were doing a lot of commercial work and and didn't didn't get paid from a lot of our largest largest clients and um really humbling experience when you've got a great company uh, and no cash right and that we had employees great reputation looked really good on the outside and uh no cash and uh made it through that and uh, learned a lot and uh, we acquired some companies over, over the years as well um, in the erosion control space and um, a few lo- other lawn care companies and other in, in, other markets. And uh, um, but yeah, we've, we've been doing this a long time and uh, you know, but we're still just, we're still, I mean, it looks so good on the outside, but I can yeah. tell you sitting oh, in those right. strategy I meetings, every, yeah. still trying to figure out who are we, yeah. how, you know, how, Create the best company? How do we provide the best service? How do we offer the best career opportunities? You know, what's our employee retention? What's our customer retention? What's our ideal client look like? And how do we keep them? And so we're still constantly trying to figure out who we are. Um, and that's a moving target at all times.
0: Yeah. When did you decide to switch from residential to commercial?
1: Um, it's probably been 15 years really at this point. Uh, um, and it wasn't because it wasn't profitable. I mean, I think people get a little skewed on this. And I'm sure, it, I know you talk to a lot of guys as well. And yeah. we've got a lot of friends that do some consulting. And, yeah. you know, guys say, well, I need to get into commercial. There's more money in it. And that's not necessarily the case. Actually, sometimes there's less because it's a competitive bid market. But um, for us, it was just looking at our business model and trying to figure out, you know, who do we serve um, and how do we grow uh, to the level that we want to grow. In. And so residential was extremely profitable, even the mowing. We used to do about 250 mowing, just residential mowing customers. We had routes that were super tight density, um, extremely profitable, but just a lot of touch points, as you know, yep. um, a lot of billing, collecting. This was pre-credit card on file, and, and so we we're sending out bills and trying to get paid. And so we just really looked at our model and, and said, "What you know, who do we want to be? today, who do we want to be in the future and how do we get there? And um it, so we didn't just cut it off overnight, but we slowly, as we continue to get more and more large commercial clients, we started looking at our service lines and saying which ones make the sense for you know best sense for us long term. Um and I think it started with the mowing. Okay, we'll get rid of the residential mowing. Okay, we'll get rid of the residential landscape installation. Um they don't make sense for us anymore. Um and again not because they weren't profitable, just because we didn't feel like we were to best at that line of business. And, uh, and it allowed us to focus on the much bigger clients and again, build more long-term, uh, relationships.
0: Yeah. So you were 27 years old doing $10 million in revenue, doing a little bit of everything. Was there any like key employees at that point that, uh, really started to help you turn the corner of the business or do those come later on?
1: No, absolutely. Uh, Even before that, you know, so Matt Bowman, who's the president of Perfect Cut today and eventually was uh, bought in and was my business partner. um, Him and I still own a lot of real estate together. Um, Matt started uh, right out of high school with me. And um, I just quickly realized that he was a guy that I just, I I saw something in him. And I talk to people about this all the time. If you get an A player on your team and you see somebody, um, man, you better figure out a way to keep them. and um so matt was just an incredible sales guy and i was much better on the operations i really understood the equipment and the operations and i quickly realized that matt had an, had an just just a nap for selling he was a great listener he's a great communicator um even at 19 20 years old he was selling large commercial accounts which is was crazy to me that they would even give him the time of day and um and so i made matt a promise way back then i remember meeting with matt and his mom and saying hey uh You know, because Matt was going to college and I said, hey, you know, I'd like Matt to join me full time. I think we can do something special here. And and, uh, I said, give us a couple of years. If we don't, Matt, you can go back to school. And so I started with a phantom stock program. And then eventually I said, Matt, you can buy in. And I he upheld his word and I upheld mine. Um, And when we sold the company, um, he was just under a 50 percent owner. So I let him buy in um, in incremental values over the course of time. Um, and so there was a lot of people, Matt's the one that stands out. Cause I just knew, um, I knew that him and I together would be better than myself alone. And people have said, would you got where you've gotten without Matt? Um, no, would I have been successful on some level? Certainly. I don't know what it would have looked like because, you know, we don't have that, you know, to look at, but, um, and then there were several other people along the way that I just think that I, I don't know if I was lucky or I just have a good, um, intuitive way of seeing people but when i come across people that i just see them as just a players um and difference makers um i just went out of my way to communicate with them talk to them about where they were in their life where they were in their career where the company is where we're going what what the future looks like um you know and i encourage guys to do that all the time like well they know what we're doing do they right <laughs> what well, you're I think it's, man, I would sit down with people all the time and say, hey, Joe, man, you're a stud. Um, I don't have a spot for you right now, but I'm going to move you up next year. And I promise. And I would always fulfill my promises. But like, man, I see something in you. I love your attitude, man. I love your work ethic, man. You're smart. You've got me I mean, anybody. And, we, and so I did that with a lot of people. And and some of those guys are still with me today. Um, unfortunately, some of them aren't, you know, as the companies grow to a certain level. Sometimes you outgrow those guys or, or they get opportunities thrown at them that that makes sense for them and their family. But uh, um, I just think it's super important to uh, really look at your team, whether you got two guys or you've got fifty. Um, you know who are the difference makers and what are you doing to make sure that you keep those people on your team? Because um, a couple people make a big difference in a company. I know I know that you know that. Um, it, it's just like football, right? I mean, you can have a great team, but if you got a stud quarterback, if, if Mahomes plays for you you got a chance to win the game for sure. Right. I mean, that's just it. I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's guys on teams, um, single guys that if, if you've got a couple of them, you got a chance to win every day.
0: Yeah. And you, you brought up a, really, a couple of really good points. And I don't know how you knew what phantom stock options were at 27 years old, but like maybe you were even younger than that. Maybe someone, yeah. maybe you had a good mentor at the time that taught you how to do it, but that's super smart, you know, just to get him bought in sure. and give him some equity in the company and keep them.
1: Yeah, I just said, how do I keep this guy on more than just a paycheck and a yeah. truck and a cell phone, right? And and I said, well, I know how do I get some buy-in and how do I, um, you know, align his interest with my interest? And I did that with several people, and and so that they, even though they didn't have actual ownership, they felt like it. And I, I treated Matt like an owner long before he had any actual stock. I, I I ran stuff by him. Him and I bounced ideas off. I did that with my entire team. You know, I let them. Um, Feel like they were an owner when they weren't. And, uh, but I remember going to somebody and saying, Man, how do I, you know, how do I give back more than just a paycheck or a, you know, just a bonus at the end of the year? I was doing subjective bonuses. I'm sure you've been there. Yeah. It's like Jim's pretty good. We'll give him <laughs> five grand. I <Mike's laughs> sure. really, 7,500. Nancy's okay. We'll give her, you know, and it was just subjective. And, and I wanted it to be performance based and I wanted it to be based on the net profit of the company so that they had ownership in all of it and, and started really understanding. And, and we also did open when we shared the numbers, um, because in the beginning, you know, it's like, well, you guys are making, you know, you're making a killing. And I'm like, actually we're not. I'll show you. You know, it's like, let me, let me show you. Or, you know, and so I just was very open with communication and I just knew that I needed great people around me. Um, one of the things that I think I've done well is, I know what I'm good at, Jonas, and I know what I'm not good at. And I really try to stay in my lane, man. I just, I really try to do the things I'm really good at. And I'm old school. I write them on paper. Like, here's what I want to do. Here's what I'm really good at. Here's the things I'm not good at. Does anybody on our team have that skill set? If not, who do we need to fill this gap? And, um, and, and, you know, because there's so many owners that try to do the things they're not good at, man. If you're the best sales guy go sell. Yep. If you're the best guy at operations, be the operations guy. You know, if you're terrible at admin and billing and collecting, stop doing it, you know, get somebody else so you can focus on the things that are going to move the needle. And, um, and so I, I think a lot of owners say, well, I'm the owner, I do everything. Well, you can do that, but, uh, it to be tough to scale that way.
0: Yeah. And do you feel like that's, uh, one of the, one of the points where the, the owner just can't give up responsibility for that role that stops them from scaling?
1: Yeah. I think it's fear. Um, I think it's ego and pride. Um, you know, and I think it really hurts them, you know, and I, and, I, and some of it's attitude, you know, I talked to a lot of guys and everybody's stupid. Nobody wants to work. Everybody's lazy. That's bullshit. That's bullshit. not true. I agree. That's, I, I got a full team. I believe you got a full team. Sure like We got more people applying than we need. Um, because we've created a great company and a great culture. Um, uh, but yeah, you're right. If you if you don't have something that's appealing, um, you're it it is going to be tough to get people. So I think that, uh, you know, I, I think that most guys fold themselves back more than they realize. Um, and I, I'm just smart enough to know that I'm not that smart. I'm smart enough to know that, say, hey, I know what I'm good at. I try to hire people better than me, smarter than me. And then I just let them do their job. I'm not I don't fear that somebody's even at this company at Ballard. We only have eleven or twelve people here. I've got people way smarter than me here, not at not at designing products or lawn care, but at every other aspect of our business. It, and I just let them do their job. That's why I hire them, and I compensate them well, and I let them do their job. And I don't micromanage. Um, and if we screw something up, we have a conversation about it. And we try to figure out how do we how do we you know tackle that different next time but um you know i see that a lot of guys hire people and then they don't let them do their job yep. you know i hired a production manager he's going to change the game and then he quits and it's like man you didn't even let me do my job i see all the you hired you. me yep. yeah and then you just micromanaged me and you made every decision for me and so then they're, they don't want to so i don't so i always tell them why would you hire him yeah i well, actually he, I don't yep. trust him. We, then why? Then fire him. If you don't trust him, get rid of him.
0: That, that's, that's, act, that's actually how I got my director of operations. Uh, she was at a company. She was a COO there. And she was trying to make changes over like the last three to five years. And every time she go to make change, make it better, the owner was to tell her no. Finally, she just got frustrated and she took for a new job and we got her. And she's an absolute rock star, which I think I told you before. She's incredible. Yeah. And I don't, you, you know, I micromanaged to a point where I had to gain her trust, right? At, for upfront and make sure that we're on the same page about a lot of things. But now, shoot, you know, we have meetings once, twice a week, and she's doing her own thing, and it's absolutely incredible. She's moved the needle. It's, it's, it's amazing.
1: Absolutely. you, you got to get great people, put them in the right seats, yeah. uh, make sure they understand where you're going, but then, man, just then let them run, yeah. and uh, you can get a lot further that way. And
0: you brought up another good point when you were ta- talking to me about that. I remember we were talking about recruiting on the podcast, and you said you had someone that walked into your office, like, I can't remember what she did or what he did, but they come to your office quite often and you liked her so much that you hired her, like you're trying to recruit her to your team.
1: Yeah. We do that a lot. I mean, we, I mean, anytime, and it's kind of crazy, but if I see somebody that working somewhere else or someone comes in here and they're, they're trying to sell me something, or I go somewhere and I see somebody that looks like an all-star, you know, I'm not ashamed to just walk up and say, Hey man, I don't know if you're happy doing what you're doing, but if you're not, Hey, give me a call, would you? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. works my local grocery store he's the best cashier checker outer guy i've ever seen at, at and i just told my wife i said uh next friday when we go in to get groceries we go every friday i'm gonna give him my card i don't know if he's happy or not but i mean, he just clean cut works hard um i don't know if he's happy doing what he's doing but i'm just gonna say hey man if you're not happy here's my number give me a buzz let me just let me just see if we have any opportunities for you in our, at our company and so i just try to pay attention to people, um, anywhere, sometimes like in a gas station, could be, I could go into a subway if somebody's the, the best sandwich artist in town, I'm like, Hey, you sure? Like, you sure this is what you want to do? You know, I got, I might have a spot for you, but on a higher level, you know, sales reps or if somebody comes in and they're just dialed in, um, I'll ask them, are you happy doing what you're doing? Um, okay. Well, if you're not, let me know. We might have a spot for you, you know, and then it gets them thinking a little bit. Yeah.
0: Always be recruiting. Right.
1: Yeah, we're always we're always talking to people and and uh, we want them to, to feel like, hey, that might be a company I want to join.
0: Yeah. So we're going to switch gears a little bit because I don't want to run out of time for some other questions. But um, when did you know that you were ready to sell Perfect Cut? How, and how did that come about?
1: Um, We well. Good question. Um, I wasn't ready to sell Perfect Cut, and um, I I had no intention of selling Perfect Cut. Um, I mean, at some point, we had talked about it. We had looked at doing an ESOP. So we paid for a feasibility study on an ESOP, um, and we decided we were going to hold off on that because a friend of mine did an ESOP with a large electrical company, and uh, it made a lot of sense for his business. Um, So we weren't for sale. I had taken myself out of the day-to-day role at, at Perfect Cut when I was focusing on took myself out about four years ago. And I met with Matt and said, Hey, Matt, um, I'm doing each, I'm doing 50% perfect, 50% Ballard. I don't like that. It's not fair to either one of them. Um, I'm going to step down. Um, you should be president. I will, uh, I'll take less compensation. We'll add my comp, you know, what I take away to yours, I'm going to step away. Um, and so I wasn't running perfect cut day to day anyways. And, uh, but we've been approached and we've been approached by a lot oh, yeah. of companies. And most of them, we just didn't, we didn't really care. Um, but this one, um, and it's, it's heartland companies. And they've got, I think, about 20 companies in the U.S. now. We really liked what they had to say. We liked their structure. We liked the way they approached it. Um, and the guys that are running that company um, aren't bankers, lawyers, and doctors and, and just capital investors. Um, these guys um, have owned landscape companies. There were a lot... Uh, a big part of a lot of the mergers and acquisitions in the early 2000s that failed where they would go in and buy a company like yours or mine and they would just change the name, change the culture, change the truck color. And that just failed miserably in the early 2000s. And so when we were talking to them, it was a lot about like, um, you know, we don't change anything and they don't like perfect cuts, still perfect cut. Uh, it, it's, it's a stock purchase. The only difference is they own the stock and I don't, um, we wouldn't even have had to tell the employees or the customers. Um, and so we kept talking to him and we just kept saying, you know what? We're not interested. We're not interested. We're not interested. Maybe down the road we'd be interested. Um, and he said, can we just get coffee? And, and so um, I said, I'm not interested in that. And Matt said, I'm going to go have coffee with him. I said, go ahead. And he called me afterwards and said, man, I really like this, this opportunity. It might make sense for us. We, you know, we just came off a record year. Um, they really want us. They they love what we're doing, and I just and so we kind of jokingly said, "What's your number?" And I he threw a number at me. I threw a number at him, and I said, "Okay, well, we're not far off. Let's just uh, let's let's explore the opportunity." Um, and uh, you know, we uh, I, I say this, I, I was going to say Perfect Cut was debt free. We weren't debt free, but we had more cash on hand than we had in debt. So um, we had some loans that made. Six, and some low loans but we had a nice cash reserve on hand so the company was debt free the real estate in all five buildings is owned separately by matt and i and, and so it made sense and they started talking about multiples of ebitda and um you know it got our it got our attention and um you know we've been doing it a long time there's still a lot of risk on the table if somebody were to get hurt killed you know there's a lot of risk and so um we decided to, to open up um, and, and agree to a letter of intent and, and really just kind of start seeing what the process would look like. And um, I don't want to drag this on forever, but no, I love at it. the end of the day, it just seemed to make sense for us. Um, and first and foremost for us, though, was we want the name to stay in place. We want our people to be taken care of. How do we make sure our people are taken care of first, uh, that the perfect Cut name continues to stay and grow? Um, and we talked to several other companies that they bought and every single one of them said, Hey man, they've done exactly what they said they were going to do. Um, and so we're two years into our deal with them. They've been fantastic. They've done everything they said they were going to do. Um, they've allowed us to continue to grow and focus on the business and not worry about the checkbook anymore, which is kind of unique. And, uh, um, and they've certainly brought in some synergies to our, um, company as well with some software additions, um, some buying power through some national things, um, more employees, so a better uh, healthcare program. When you you put 2,500 employees on a healthcare program, you get a little better deal there. And so, um, but you know, we were prepared to sell, and I, I say this a lot. Even though we had no intention of selling, we ran our company um, so clean, you know. So they hold they hold back a, a retainer just like everybody does, and said said you know we're going to find some skeletons in the closet. And I said, no, you're not, you know. And so luckily for us, um, about six or seven years back, we had hired a CFO and um, she was super, super bright. And, you know, we quit running our personal stuff through the company. We cleaned up all that stuff. We used to run, you know, you, you've been there. You go buy a new grill, you run it through the company, you go on a vacation, you run it through the comp- company. And we quit doing all that stuff so that our books were 100% legit on how the company performs and operates and what is the actual net profit of the company. And, yep. and I've looked at buying several companies locally even and it's like, well, we make more money than that. But, but I have my Corvette in here and I have my boat and oh, I took my kids to Tahiti. And it's like, I, I don't know what to tell you, buddy. Yeah. I'm not going to pay you. like Your numbers say you made X.
0: Absolutely.
1: Well, I made I made more than that. Well, I don't give a shit.
0: Like, it's not on the people. So,
1: yeah. And so I'm glad that we ran the company 100% legit so that when this opportunity presented itself, there was no cleanup work to do. Um, you know, we have, and we also had it in a position where we had great people in place because they want to buy a company that runs without the owners. And luckily, I wasn't involved. So it wasn't like, you know, the clients aren't doing business with Corey and Matt, they're doing business with Perfect Cut. And they're account managers, and they've been with us a long time. So um, there's just a lot of factors in there, and we negotiated for about a year. And um, being in a position that you don't have to sell gives you a lot of power as well. Because yeah. um, uh, there were a couple times we were fighting over what I thought was fairly minimal amounts of dollars. But I'm like, I don't really care, guys. We didn't go buy it. Yeah. You know, like, I don't. You, you came to us. We didn't come to you, you know. Uh, and so... Um, but it's been a great partnership. Um, they've been a great company. Um, we just acquired another company over in our Eastern Iowa office. with about, I think they've got about 55 employees. Um, but again, Matt and I didn't write the check they did. And it allowed us to really continue to expand and grow the brand and get a lot of synergies, um, without a lot of personal risk. And so that's why it made sense for us. So, you know, um, I, I don't regret it. There's um it's weird though, I can tell you. Um I just every time I drive, I you can't drive anywhere in Des Moines without seeing a perfect cut, you know, a blue perfect cut truck. Um it's weird to me. It's like shit, I don't that's like I don't own that. That's weird. Um that was my baby, you know. I started it from scratch and uh um but I still go down, I talk to the people, I go down and you know, bump knuckles with people in the morning and when I can and and uh, I try to be present anytime I can. We had a safety meeting yesterday. I like to go down and just, I just like to be there because um, I want our employees that when we told them nothing was going to change, then we got to, then we got to make sure nothing changes, right? Or if it does change, it's for the better.
0: Yeah, that's great. There's so many nuggets in there that I want to dive into a little bit deeper. Uh, first question that I wrote down was how long was your due
1: diligence process with that? Um, I think from start to finish, it took us about a year. Um, we probably could have, maybe nine months, but I think it was a year from the, from the time we really said, yeah, let's, let's do this. Um, and they gave us the original offer and we said, I think that you're close. Um, I think it took about nine months to a year before we actually closed. Was that a stressful process? Like bringing on all those auditors and. It was. Um, luckily, I didn't have to do a lot of the heavy lifting. We have a COO in place and a, and a CFO that did a lot of the heavy lifting. And and we had certainly incentivized those when the when the deal was over. But uh, um, it was because it was emotional. There, there were several times, um, I think we were two weeks out and I called Matt and I said, um, I don't want to cuss too much on but I said, tell me, oh, the deal's yeah. off. F it. We're done. Yeah. He's like, whoa, what happened? I go, I just, I can't do it, man. I didn't sleep last night. I can't do it. He said, call me tomorrow so I call him the next day and I'm like okay Matt, I'm okay let's do it and he goes I don't think I'm in I'm like what I'm like and he's like I don't feel right about it and so it was an emotional roller coaster and just being vulnerable I sat on my deck one night and I just started crying I just was sitting on my patio and thinking oh my god I'm gonna sell this thing like what am I doing um and Sure, the money is nice, but I mean, it didn't, nothing in my life changed. Every dollar I got from that, I, I just invested it, put it away. It, it's not like, you know, it's not like you hit the lottery. And yeah. I mean, I had money before, so it wasn't like, because people were like, what are you going to buy? Nothing. You know, I didn't buy anything. I didn't do anything different, um, other than I have some more security, right? I, I just invested the money and set up some stuff for the kids. And, um, but, but nothing changed, so it wasn't about the money. Um, you know, I shouldn't say that. Everyone always says it's not about. I mean, certainly the financial side had to make sense yeah. um, for your life's work. But it, man, it was it was an uh, it was an emotional roller coaster. And then the day that we closed, um, I was sitting at the gym in the parking lot, and I looked at my account and I saw the money went in my account. Um, it was quite a bit, yeah. by the way. Yeah. and uh, I thought I would just be ecstatic and elated and again i sat there and i just did i just started crying like it didn't feel like i thought it felt it didn't feel that good it just didn't and uh i took the i went home i just took the rest of the day off i just sat at home and then i, I, I laid down and my wife called me what are you doing i so i'm like i'm taking a nap and she's like oh my, i thought you'd be like it was beautiful out it was a friday and I just went home and laid down. I just I was mentally and emotionally just exhausted, and uh, um, and it, it just didn't feel like I thought it would. And I don't know how to explain that, but uh, um, since then it's it, it's all made sense, and it, 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 I'm I don't regret it for a minute. But uh, it certainly is an emotional process to sell something that you have your entire life's work in. And to be honest, Jonas, kind of embarrassed me, but it was my identity for so many years. Um, you know, I went through a divorce and I remember telling my ex-wife, like, I don't even, I didn't even care about the divorce. As long as I had perfect cut, I was going to be okay. It was like my entire identity. Like everybody just knew me. If you said my name, like, Oh, perfect cut. Like, and I don't know, um, if that was just, um, a lack of self-confidence, insecurity, ego. Um, and then I, that piece was just ripped. It felt like it was just ripped away. And, uh, so it was, a, it was, a, it certainly was a tough time and, uh, um, I learned a lot from it. Certainly.
0: Yeah. Is there anything that you'd have done different to that process?
1: <laughs> Not really. I think, I think that I had to go through all of it. I think I had to go through the ups and downs and, um, you know, I talked to a lot of people I trusted, uh, I spent a lot of time talking to my wife and, uh. Set, spent a lot of time alone just thinking it through and um, I, I don't think so I think it, I think it played out exactly how it needed to and um, and I'm proud of the way our t- you know our team handled it um, and then we made sure we took care of some of our best people and they're still on but um, and we even sat down with some of our best people and said hey listen we think we're gonna like in full confidentiality I'm not even supposed to tell you this but we're close to closing and I won't do it if you're not on board but here's what we're going to do for you. And we're going to, you know, we're going to give you some shares in the new, in the, you know, and so we did some things for our people that, that um, I think that helped us get where we got, I mean, we had to take care of some of them people that were um, crucial in getting perfect cut to the level to um, get, you know, the multiple that we got it was the highest multiple they've ever paid. And um, it, it wasn't because of me, it was because of all their hard work as well. And so, we definitely had to take care of some of our key players in that, in that final transaction.
0: Yeah. So when you were building and you started to hire your C-suite team, you're used to just COO or CFO, maybe you had a CMO. I'm not sure. Uh, did, did they have an employee stock option then when they came on board or were they, or they had some, some sort of equity to get them on board?
1: No, they don't. They, uh, they all, you know, have salaries plus they have uh, bonus Bonuses. and bonus tied back to overall company um, profits. So, um, with all of them that's the deal we have we also had a deferred comp program in place um that that unfortunately ended when heartland bought us but then we to make that up um they were able to cash out some of that or, or all of that and then we went ahead and issued them another um gift basically from matt and i personally um into shares to the parent company so um just kind of a little workaround for us but we wanted to make sure that they were compensated taken care of and really and, and and they knew how valuable they were to us um, not like hey guys thanks for helping us we got our money you know good luck with the new you know new team and it, it so um, we had a lot of conversations with our top you know five or six people to make sure that um, and really walk them through through why we were doing what we were doing and 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 i believe that they completely agreed that it was not a money grab for us in any way we never talked about the money it was always about people culture longevity of the company and taking care of our clients such a great story
0: um my next question would be like when you when after you did sell and you decided to, i don't know if you had to decide or this part of the deal that you had to stay on the board for uh, the board seat for so long or is that something that you wanted to do or is this part of the deal
1: Part of the deal was I would stay on for two years um, and Matt as well. Matt stayed on as president for two years. I stayed on the strategy team for two years um, and I've asked for an extension. I believe they'll extend, I believe, I, I believe I'm grandfathered in I think, forever. Cool. You know, at some point they could find it not that valuable, but um, so that was part of the deal that they typically do with, with owners and uh, in, in their kind of their main players and um, and I, I hope to stay on with them as long as they will allow me, and and I hope to stay on as long as I have value. And so, um, and I do think I bring a lot of value to the strategy team because I'm not in the weeds. I'm kind of at the twenty thousand foot level looking down, and so I can continue to bring a perspective that's a little different because I'm not bogged down with all the day to day, you know, shit that goes on. And and so. Um, and, and for them, they want our people to continue to see my face and Matt's face as long as possible. And Matt's super engaged. He's probably more engaged now than ever. He's a freaking stud. He's in there um, grinding it out. And I said, Matt, how long are you going to do this? And he said, as long as I'm having fun. You know, financially, it financially doesn't need to be there. Um, but he's like, man, I'm having fun and um, I'm loving what I'm doing. And I'm going to do it as, long as it as long as I'm having fun and bringing it to you. Super cool.
0: So what made you start uh, Ballard Corp then? Was that just a fun project that you did on the side, like you said, and then you decided yeah. it was doing well, and then you wanted to scale? Or?
1: I don't think most people realize. You know, I started that company in 1999 and, oh. and uh, incorporated it in, in 2000, and it just started with one product, which was the easy gate. We made a product for our own trailer because we were tired of lifting and the heavy gates, and then I filed for a patent. And then we made the Super Jack to lift our mowers, and we patented that. So we just started making products that we were using every day in our business. And I'm like, I think I can sell these. Like, surely we can sell. I mean, we're using this stuff every day. Um, there's nothing else out there like it. And and so this is pre-social media, right? And so we had to go to all the trade shows and GIE back then, which is Equip Expo now. Um, and then so we started making products. And then we also started buying other people's products, which some of them we still sell today, like the Green Touch Racks. So we had those on our trailers and we we're like, hey we really liked this product. At the time, it was the Cadillac of racks. There was no other competition. And so I reached out to them and said, hey, we'd like to sell your product. So through a combination of our own products that we developed that we used every day to other products that we were using in our business that I thought we could sell. um, So we started selling products. I had one sales guy and one part-time warehouse guy. And I did that for about 15 years. And it was just kind of a hobby business. Um, It wasn't making a lot of money. It wasn't losing any money. It was just Um, something that I enjoyed, it was kind of fun. Um, and then in 2017, um, is when I really kind of hit the crossroad. I said, uh, I came home to my wife and I said, I'm either going to shut it down or I'm going to blow it up. She's like, blow it up. Like, what do you mean? I said, like grow, you know, that's when I said blow something up. I'm I'm not going to blow it up with the dynamite. I'm blowing it up. We're going to grow. I said, you know, we've got great products. The industry's growing. There's nobody doing what we're doing. Um, and so I called the guy and said, uh, "What do you know about social media?" And he said, "Not much." I said, "Well, it's still probably more than me." Um, what do you know about Facebook marketing? He said, "Not much." I said, "You still, you still got me." And uh, so it just started from there. We started making some videos, uh, promoting the products, and, and um, quickly just started growing. And um, and it was pretty short thereafter that I realized that I I wanted to do Ballard. I wanted to see if I could grow this company and create um opportunities for people. And uh I think 2018 is when I stepped down from Perfect Cut. So um, but I mean we were only doing like a hundred thousand a year in sales. Um, you know, and today this year we should be close to 10 million or maybe a little bit more. So we quickly took it, just scaled it fast and um crazy. Um and I'm having a lot of fun with it. I get to I get to create new products. Test new products. I get a lot of people bringing me their products. Um, We we have this joke where I'm just the middleman, right? But um, I just got on the phone a little bit ago with a guy named Andy. He's got a great new product he developed. Again, he developed this product for his own business, but he doesn't know what to do with it. Guys like him bring me products, and I'm I I know what to do with it, right? I can get it manufactured if it is you know if it's a great product. I can get it manufactured. We can market it. We can make his dream come true as well. And he just gets mailbox money. I, I make deals with guys all the time where I do royalty deals. Um, and so we're having a lot of fun with Ballard. And uh, social media has certainly made all that possible. Um, I think we had 63 million views last year on our on our channels. Um, so pretty crazy numbers that we're able to reach out there. And, um, and so we're able to reach a lot of people. Um, I put myself out there. I do most of the videos myself, yeah. which comes with a lot of hate. I don't know (laughs) know how many, I don't know how many paper groups you follow, but man, I get, I get bashed almost daily. It's okay. It is what it is. We're just going to keep doing what we're doing and, uh, and, uh, and, and trying to create great products and give great customer service. And, um, but yeah, we've had a lot of fun with that. I mentioned, I think before we went on air that, you know, we're building a new 26,000 square foot uh, facility. Um, and we've got a great team of, of people on board and, and looking to add quite a few more and, um i don't know where i'll take it um and how long i'll be involved again i'll be I'll, I'll be involved as long as i'm having fun and we've had quite a few companies try to buy this one as well now so that's kind of interesting i'm like not interested wait what's your number no, I'm <laughs> yeah. like, but i'm not um i'm not interested at this point i i think we're i still think we're just in the you know in the infancy with infancy with it i think we can grow this thing to a lot bigger company and uh I was going to say we're having fun. Most of the time we're having fun. This time of year is pretty nuts. Can be yeah. pretty stressful. Yep. There's a lot of a lot pressure. Of but uh, yeah, so we're having fun with it, and uh, and hopefully we're bringing value to the industry, and and that's all we're trying to do.
0: Yeah, through COVID, uh, when all like the trucking went down and couldn't ship things around, did that really mess with you guys?
1: Yeah, it was tough. Um, you know, we could get stuff out of here, but we were having trouble getting products made and getting products in, yeah. and of course, obviously, pricing pricing you know was crazy um we have some products made in the u.s we have products made other places where we find the best suitable manufacturer um so we were trucking and shipping um, and steel costs and uh stuff that used to take two months to get was taking six and eight months to get and uh so that was certainly challenging for us um i'm glad we made it through um But, uh, people still need products, right? Grass still needs cut and, uh, you know, people still need products. And, and, uh, so we, we, we still had a pretty good year. And, um, despite all the despite all the, uh, chaos going on in the world.
0: Great. Uh, does Corey Ballard's typical day look like at this point?
1: Um, yeah. Um, I get up at 4am, I don't sleep much, but I get up at 4 and, um, you know, I typically get through emails pretty early. Um, typically I go to the gym at 5am depends on what day of the week it is. Um, I do a couple different routines, but I like to get to the gym at five. Um, I like to be in the office by six 30. And, um, you know, I work through emails, meet with my team, um, on kind of what's going on, what, you know, what issues we have going on here at Ballard. Um, you know, and then I'm, I'm working on, um, you know, just new products and I do, uh, I talk to a lot of, you know, different people in the industry, I answer emails. Um, I still involved, again, yeah, involved with perfect cut on Tuesdays. I'm down there most of the day or at least a half a day. And, um, you know, uh, a lot more freedom and flexibility than I, than I had, but, uh, with growth comes, you know, comes some challenges. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I'm a guy that likes to be in routine, um, I'm having lunch with a guy here after we get off um, that has some questions on uh, his company's growing. He's having some financial, some capital concerns uh, to scale his company. Obviously, takes cash. Yeah. So anytime I can meet somebody and um, at least share my experience with them, man, I try to. Um, I love giving back. It seems like the more I give back, the more I get in return. So um, constantly just trying to help people. And then uh, you know we have kids' activities every night, man. We got karate and dance and my son works out and we race on the weekends. And so we, we lead a, we lead a really busy life. Cool. Yeah. And
0: I can attest to that because I know that the first time I ever reached out five years ago, I was like, this guy is never, ever going to respond to me ever. And within half hour, you'd already responded, invited me to come visit you. So I appreciate that. You've helped me a lot along the way. So I uh, appreciate you as a mentor, as a friend, and definitely appreciate you taking the time for us today to um, be in the podcast
1: yeah man it's been fun uh yeah if you ever want to get me back on i know i ramble a little bit i can talk i can talk industry can. lawn care i can talk about this shit all along so yeah. uh, time goes fast but yeah if you ever want to do another one or if you've got specific topics um you know there's so many hot topics in our industry yeah. which is you know getting work and getting people and um i don't even talk about equipment much because i don't care about equipment yeah. that stuff's, that stuff's, that's just that's stuff that's easy stuff it's yeah. it's all the other things that that make a company great and uh, but yeah, Jonas, I appreciate you having me on, buddy, and uh, I appreciate you joining us on the Green Grind a couple weeks ago, and um, we'll be sharing that episode here soon as well.
0: Cool. If you guys have any questions for Corey, uh, you know, drop them in the comments on YouTube, or send me questions to info at pestcontrolmillionaire.com. Uh, I can throw these questions at Corey, or I'll try to bring them back on again to answer them. And uh, yeah, thanks again for being here. And we'll, if you guys need to follow Corey, uh, we'll have the links in his bio, so just click on the bio and go follow Corey. Appreciate it. Awesome, man. Appreciate being on. Yeah, thank you.
1: Thanks for checking out another episode of the Pest Control Millionaire podcast. If this was valuable to you, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It really makes a big difference for our growth. And if you do need any help growing your business, go ahead and check out PestControlMillionaire.com. We have lots of courses up there from sales to operations. I have some courses there about producing short-form content. Plus, we have a mentorship program where you can get one-on-one business coaching from the Pest Control Millionaire himself. Thanks for listening, and we'll